So Gunnar, what's new with you? Uh, what's new with me? I'm uh, I'm currently enjoying uh, the Sandman series. Yeah, they're, they're on Netflix. Netflix went through a rut with me for a while there. It seems like uh, seems like I watched everything there was available during COVID, mm-hmm. and then they they released this Sandman series based on the beloved books by Neil Gaiman. And uh, man, it's such a treat. It's a it's a wish fulfillment, right? When you see mm-hmm a movie based on a book that you really enjoyed. Like, I think a lot of folks had this experience with like Lord of the Rings, where it was kind of everything that they wanted it to be. Right. Or most of what mm-hmm. they wanted it to be. And the same thing for the Sandman series it is, uh, it really, it's something very special. It's great. And it's weird. It's upsetting. It's, uh, uh, thoughtful. Uh, and, uh, anyway, it's, a, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a good time. Is it, uh, a limited series or is it uh, just a, uh, or a, a full blown series with another season coming? Yeah. So they did 10 seasons and I believe that they, they, well, they did 10 seasons and then they just released two kind of bonus stories. Uh, they're all based on the, the comics. I think there were 70 comics mm-hmm. in all. Um, so uh, yeah, there, there's 10 episodes now and I believe there's the promise of a second season coming. Um, okay. And uh, yeah. Anyway, if you were nervous about it, as a reader and fan of the Sandman books, uh, I can endorse this uh, adaptation for television. It was great. It was really good. Yeah, they still doing the books? No, no, no. The books are, oh, geez. The books are probably 30 years old, maybe? Really? 20 or 30 years? Oh, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Um, so, I think, yeah, the books are the books are done. There will be, there. it seems unlikely that there would be more books, but... Uh, it was, uh, yeah. So actually, also this will be an endorsement both of the television show, but also don't cheat yourself and not read the books because the books are are special on their own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, that's like um, there's so many good books uh, like that that it's, um, yeah. It's uh, I'm glad I'm glad you're you you like how that all turned out, especially given how long it has been out the books have been out uh to given giving a chance to you know set you up for disappointment um you know a long time and uh glad they're able to to pull it off yeah yeah i think they pulled it off they did a great job yeah yeah it was really cool it's great how about you what's going on oh um so uh there was uh we we had uh some folks from uh Tota Q in episode 216. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that was, that was a fun episode. Very, very uh, um, cognitively rich uh, mm-hmm. content, uh, which was wonderful. And um, no, they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be an advisor uh, to them uh, as they go to open source their technology and all that. So, and I said, sure. So hey, um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that uh, it keeps me off the street, keeps me busy. <laughs> that's great that's great yeah yeah so uh yeah and uh 
man, we we haven't. I checked. We didn't do a, an episode like all June and July and a good chunk of August. So we, we got to catch up. I got a lot of things in the notes here that that uh, you know clearing out the attic here of yeah. of uh, things that we missed over the past couple months. That's great. You got to we got to pay the price for the summer hiatus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And this is probably going to be. Uh, one of the more awkward uh, episodes uh, in terms of content. So uh, everybody be just mentally prepare yourselves for that. (laughs) More more awkward than usual, I guess. (laughs) Well, what's on the docket? Yeah. We're uh, going to talk about stable coins and uh, slippery slopes. All right. That's uh, all right. Sounds good. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And to get all the show notes, where do we need to send everybody? Oh, they should go to, as usual, they should go to dgshow.org. Uh, that's D as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show.org. And over on the Twitter, on the Twitter, we've got a dgshow, D-O-T-O-R-G. Yep. Yep. And then uh, cutting room floor, there was uh, Ghosts in the Machine. Uh, that was delightful. Yeah. There's a, that was a comically overproduced recruiting video for, uh, was it the 10th Mountain Division? No. For yeah, fourth uh, psychological operations group. Yeah, over at Fort Bragg. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was uh, whatever whatever game that they're selling. I'm buying. That looked like a lot, that looked like a lot of fun. Looked like a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, I want to see the movie when they when they make the movie of that. <laughs> Hopefully, net Netflix picks them up. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then um, and then you know uh, the uh, super chef uh, Guy Fieri, right? Sure. Yeah, the Flavor Town, right? He's yeah. he's from Columbus, Ohio. Um, before he got uh, famous um, uh, being a chef, uh, he was doing commercials uh, selling mufflers. Uh, so we got a link uh, for that, so you get to check out Flavor Town and a muffler place. Yeah, and then um, yeah, and then uh, uh, th- this is like on, on a scale of one to uh, Edward Tufty. Uh, this is like an eleven. Um, the uh, cognitive bias uh, codex, which I'm sure uh, Eric Morrissey has a print in his house uh, framed hanging up. So make sure people check that out. It is printable. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's exhaustive. Um, yep, and then. Uh, you found the uh, uh, little press conference uh, on Twitter, which is uh, vital. Yeah, that's right. So this is a this is a press conference uh, being held by a man who was caught off guard by the weight of the door that he was opening. Um, and uh, I, anyway, it, you should watch this press conference. He really does. He sets the record straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he made the record clear. Um, set set it clear. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's let's jump right into it. Um, uh, so you know about uh, Arizona iced tea, right? I do. There was a time I really enjoyed an Arizona iced tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it winds up that uh, it's been like ninety nine cents since uh, nineteen ninety six. They have not raised their prices. Oh right, I heard this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and it goes to like the guy he would negotiate on aluminum prices. Um, really, um, you know, work work over the. Um, you know, the sellers and stuff like that. Um, so it's been a very, very stable um, unit of value uh, for a very long time right now. And so you remember the non-fungible Olive Garden people? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they have just minted uh, um, um, a stable coin that's backed by Arizona Ice-T. Oh, right. Because that's a great source of stability, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So they've been they've been doing that. Um, and um, that also uh, the other thing, if, if the same people that did um, uh, uh, both the non-fungible Olive Gardens and the uh, Arizona iced tea uh, coin, um, uh, they also came up with a thing called blocked chain where um, uh, it's for NFTs that can only be minted by uh, uh, people that have been blocked by Mark Andreessen on Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, um, yeah. And, and the thing is, it is, uh, you know, they, they actually do have a reserve. They call it USDT as a coin and they have a reserve for it. So for every coin of USDT that you have, they have a can of Arizona tea. Um, and if you ever want to um, uh, swap your, uh, coins for tea, um, you could basically uh, burn the coins and then they will send you um, uh, the, the, they would ship you the, the iced tea cans uh, plus a $20 uh, flat processing fee. Uh, okay. Wait for a the minute. shipping. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's <Well>, heavy. <laughs> Yeah. Is 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 UPS an investor? <laughs> uh I don't know. I don't know. But check out their white paper. Um let, let me know uh, click on that and let me know what you think. I put a link to the white paper in there uh um see if that All right. If that yeah. sells you. <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's all you need to know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm looking at uh, what looks like a 1980s uh, kind of graphing calculator design on the back, kind of Tron, evoking Tron, and then mm-hmm. a extremely saturated photo of an Arizona iced tea. Uh, mm-hmm. Looks like a vintage kind of iced tea can uh, next to a USB stick. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm seeing? Yep. Yeah, that's great. It all comes together. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's it, it is nice to see people engaging with this notion of, of Bitcoin and NFTs on the grounds where it should be treated, which is satire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a crypto winter um, yeah. as, as we're experiencing it now. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of things uh, uh, going down. Um, yeah. Let's, let's go down some slippery slopes. Okay. Okay. So um you know, like I, you know, I've done virtual reality back in the '90s, so I've I've always been like a fan of virtual reality and seeing the price curve bend down and all the innovation that comes about with the maker spaces and um, it's very cost effective for people to do really innovative things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's some people that um, uh, let's see, uh, from researchers from the Salzburg University of Applied Sciences in Austria. Um, they've come up with a uh, a virtual reality setup that can um, uh, attenuate your uh, breathing supply. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> why not? Why, why, I actually know in this case, I want to know why. <laughs> right. And, and so you can imagine it has all kinds of uses. Um, in this case, it's um, imagine. Um, so basically they have this respirator that you, uh, so not only are you wearing the head mounted display that, that has a weight to it, but you're also putting a respirator on your face. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's a resistance valve that controls how much air you can breathe. And um, the device will monitor your breathing, allowing you to interact with the virtual reality environment with your, with your breath. And um, use cases, uh, one of them would be for uh, training firefighters um, to be able to uh, do like real-time breathing resistance. So um, like if somebody's in a cramped uh, building and they're fighting fires, um, you know, having the, uh, and, and it's harder to breathe, um, they could, the, fi- the firefighter could experience that sensation in a, uh, um, uh, in a virtual environment and um, it would also have the added benefit of um, causing tunnel vision because you'll have less air to breathe. And um, you could simulate that. Well, actually, you're not simulating. You actually are narrowing your vision by asphyxiating. But <laughs> um, but you get to experience it in the safety of a virtual environment. Right. So what is number two on the list of applications for this? Yeah. So um, the, well, I'll give you two of them. Well, actually, I'll give you a couple. Um, number uh, one, you could blow out candles on a virtual birthday cake. Um, <laughs> yep. You can play a harmonica in a virtual environment. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You could uh, inflate balloons with your breath. And um, uh, there's also a um, a third-person shooter or, uh, um, uh, well, they call it a third-person shooter game. You have to hold your breath in order to steady the pistol. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still, it seems so, like we've been looking for a problem. Are we agreed on that? I think there is some sort of, like I said, it's like I'm I'm reserving judgment, and and as the this episode wears on, it's getting worse. Um, so I'll <laughs> let people just just think about this, and as you let this marinade, think about combining it with the the next couple things we're going to be talking about. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Um, okay. So you got, you know, virtual reality for, you know, your, you know, some of your senses, right? You, you got it for your, your eyesight. Um, you know, you, you got it with your ears, you know, there's sometimes there's some tactile, st- tactile stuff going on. Um, but they've, um, there's some researchers at Carnegie Mellon um, are doing uh, virtual reality for your mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, they're using uh, ultrasound waves. Um, So um, they have this array of like 40 some or 64 transducers that are, you can imagine, are like Velcroed to the bottom of a head mounted display pointed at at the wearer's mouth. And um, the um, uh, what they can do is they could use ultrasonic waves to um, vibrate the air and stimulate the wearer's uh, lips, uh, teeth, and tongue. Right, right. Why not? Why Why not, indeed? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so um, they're able to, um, uh, they did some things like uh, they simulated raindrops, you know, like falling on your lips, um, the feeling of wind, a virtual bug crawling across your, your lips. So um, 
And it was interesting. I it's in the video in in the show notes link where you know you see the person wearing it, and then you, there's like a this creepy crawly thing going across the person's lips, and you know it's weird. Um, Yuck. But yeah, and yeah, and and also um, they had some other things too for like a driver, um, uh, like a driving application, like a like a Mario Kart sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That when you wreck into something it would sort of like blast your face with um, ultrasonic waves to have the feeling of a collision. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. You could simulate a water fountain, uh, drinking out of a water fountain, brushing your teeth. Um, why not? Why not? Yeah. This is, this is getting worse, Dave. Oh, it's getting worse. Um, the third one, this is where it's like, um, just just uh, strap in here for this. Um, and this is just like when you see it and when you see the video of it, it'll even be worse. Um, so there is a, um, let's see, the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology uh, Mac Interact Lab. They've come up with a, a Spinocchio uh, VR controller. And so um, they've come up with this device, that, uh, this virtual device that you hold in your hand, and you could basically um, feel a cylindrical object that will grow and um, and you could spin it in your fingers and slip it through your hand um, in in a variety, like in an up and down motion or a, or a rotational motion. Um, and uh, yeah, you could do that in a virtual environment if you like. For pottery. Pottery is a great example. Pottery is a great example. Um, of course, you know, making bowls and vases in virtual environments, that's what everybody wants to do, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, and and you know, to help help people make things perfectly uh, cylindrical, um, you could have this like virtual potter's wheel, right? And this lump of clay that slides through the potter's hands and all that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you could you could imagine it's like you know how like the the glass Coca Cola bottle how it's that um, you know it's curved and all that mm-hmm. sure. it, you could feel as you run your your hand from the the top to the bottom the the virtual reality device uh, diameter would increase or decrease based upon where you are in that part of the bottle that you're touching. Oh, I see. Okay, so uh, okay, so if we were to take all these technologies and put them together. Um, this is designed to help harmonica playing firefighters hold uh, Coca-Cola bottles in in a air, in a low air environment. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It's like they should all team up and work on a grant for that uh, demographic. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It actually is it actually is a, a marvel of engineering that they're able to uh like simulate a cylindrical object and, and the very diameters and stuff like that. And I presume it has something to do with um rotational inertia and stuff like that. I mean that's I'm looking at the diagrams here and this this does look like a uh this does look like a, a hard engineering problem to solve. Mm-hmm. So good for that. I don't know why they're solving it, but yes, it does. <laughs> Pottery. For pottery, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's yes. right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, all right. How about some uh, palate cleansers? Sure. 
Okay. Um, so um, there's a video uh, under uh, that we have here. Um, it's actually from uh, Crystal City, Virginia, and um, it's a uh, a walk sign that keeps repeating out loud, "Change password." <laughs> Presumably because it was misconfigured. No, um, it was not configured. So um, it winds up that somebody said that um, somebody posted that saying that, man, this is really weird. I got this, this, uh, you know, uh, traffic signal or walk sign telling me to change its password and just repeating it over and over again. Um, But it winds up that if you ever buy one of these walking signs and and you put it up, um, it will do that. It will say change password as soon as you power it up until you change the password. That's a, actually, well, that's a public service, isn't it? As I'm walking down the street in Crystal City, especially in Crystal City, Virginia, which is the home to many government agencies, it's it's good to just be reminded that you whatever the password is, you should probably change it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a, uh, NIST doesn't recommend that anymore, but um, why not? Yeah. <laughs> change, change password. Yeah. No, but I, I thought it was pretty cool that it's like you you actually, you know, you hear about all the IoT devices and you know, default passwords being used and how do you have a, an IOT device with a default password? And, you know, it's, it's really easy for a manufacturer to just say, ah, the heck with it and not bother with it. Yeah. But in this case, they're actually going out of their way to annoy the customer, you know, the, the, the purchaser of this product um, to, you know, um, to be secure. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to tell you to change the password until um, you actually, you know, set the password for the, uh, cause it's currently the default password. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a, that is a very responsible, like make the, make the device a nuisance until the customer behaves correctly. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. That's right. It's yeah. great. Idea. Yeah. And then you found something, if you, if you really want to uh, like get away from the slippery slopes that we were just talking about, uh, you found something in the economist for something totally different. Well, I think it falls in the category of slippery slopes. So, uh, Dave, you're you're familiar with the term analysis paralysis, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> and, and so this this article from the Economist, I read it just this morning, and it uh, it uh, collects a, b- a bunch of academic studies uh, on this topic, and it kind of reframed everybody. So in in the workplace, we talk about analysis paralysis. And the assumption is that like a little bit of analysis is good. You should be thinking rigorously about your decisions and things like this. And But if you do too much of it, um, you could be wasting your time mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or preventing meaningful decisions from being made. And uh, what, what, uh, what science teaches us apparently is that it's actually worse than that. Um, the, uh, the kinds of, and the way the article frames it is that intuition is in some settings as useful as analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that if you were to have somebody who is uh, trying to solve a problem kind of from first principles and, and doing it through analysis, they will be relatively slow at doing it compared to somebody who is an expert on the topic and trusts mm-hmm. their instincts on something. turns out that they are able to make decisions more quickly and more accurately, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think matches my lived experience, but you never really think about these two things as being in balance. And Mm -hmm. certainly in an organization, when you're, you know, when you've got a bunch of middle managers and everybody's got a boss, uh, there's a strong disincentive to trust your instincts and you feel like you got to back your decisions up with data, right? 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what all this research suggests is that actually backing up a data is probably an unnecessary middle step if you are functioning with a set of experts who, whose mm-hmm. intuition can be can be trusted, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I thought anyway, I thought that was interesting, and it was uh, uh, it's important. I think we spend a lot of time talking about the assumption is that analysis is good, and it's just a matter of how much analysis to apply. But there's also there are also, there's a whole other half of the of the of the of the graph, if you like, which is about um, the extent to which you can trust intuition instead. And I just mm-hmm. thought that was interesting, and frankly, a hopeful story for somebody like me, <laughs> <laughs> who has a lot of patience for intuition and not a lot of patience for analysis, unfortunately. Yeah, well, uh, and I can imagine, you know, there, you have two ends of the spectrum, right? You you have the, uh, you know, the classic, uh, you know, Google. Uh, you know, and God, we trust all others bring data, right? Where it's like, you got to prove yourself and that's fine. Right. Um, but um, then you, but what about, like, I would say what happened, doesn't the intuition have to be based on experience where you can have somebody with really bad intuition because they don't have experience and they don't know any better. Like we all, like, there are a lot of people I think that like to, make decisions and figure out the details later because they're going on by their gut, but their gut, like they just don't have enough experience to, you know, like I can imagine the, like the surgeon that is like making a decision because they've seen it's, they're almost like this AI that has seen so many uh, train themselves on so many things. They can't describe it or mm-hmm. they can't prove it, but they just know in their gut that it's like, this is the way, this is the symptom and this is how we fix it. Yeah. But what about the, the, person that is inexperienced like i'm I'm afraid that people are going to read this article and just be emboldened saying that yeah i'm just going to trust my gut and, and follow my opinion and and i don't have to have data yeah that's right well and, and i think so there's two you're right there's two things i thought about this along what you're talking about is there's the dunning kruger problem where mm-hmm. everyone thinks they're an expert at something if they know a little mm-hmm. bit about it right um and so the amount of expertise you need to make a correct intuition is probably uh not tradable for confidence you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like like uh you actually you actually do need that uh you actually do need it, need that expertise in order for the intuition to be worthwhile the other thing i was thinking about is the um is that uh the intuition uh is really a fancy word for or there's another way of saying pattern matching right mm-hmm. and intuition is works great i presume right up until it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. And there are probably kind of several corner cases uh, where you would be making the wrong decision because you had not done the correct amount of analysis. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're just working off pattern matching, everything, every problem looks like the last problem that you, that you had. Right. Um, yes. And, and that's not all. And that's not always the case. And you know, without some analysis, you're not really going to know how one thing is subtly different from the last thing that you solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it is that balance. And, you know, like before we recorded, we we're talking about tilt profiles and all that. And, um, you know, like I, like my profile is to, you know, do a lot of analysis and do a lot of thinking about things before making a decision. And I need to be mindful of that. And, you know, number one, to actually make a decision, number two, not to annoy people. Um, but then there are people on the exact opposite end of the spectrum as me that, you know, they'll make decisions like crazy um, and not worry about the details or the effects afterwards, but they think that action and is, is better, you know, uh, 
is without thinking is better than, you know, thinking through something and making a decision. That's right. Yeah. Again, confidence is not equivalent to expertise, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'd, obviously we need to do some analysis and, uh, yes. and learn more about this topic. Yeah. And I got to check my uh, cognitive bias codex to see where I fall um, <laughs> that's right. on this. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So if, if Gunnar, if people need to see um, uh, all this disturbing stuff on uh, suffocation, uh, mouth stimulation and uh, sliding things through your hand, uh, where, where do we need to send them? Uh, yeah. Uh, all the harmonica playing firefighters holding Coke bottles should head over to dgshow.org. That's D as in Dave, G as in Gunnar show.org. Nice, nice. Yeah, we're absolutely targeting that demographic um, in this episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get all the Google AdWords for that and uh, drive the uh, listenership up. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Gunnar. See everybody.